Welcome to The Pharmacist RN, a podcast made for pharmacists by pharmacists, hosted by John Papasturgio. John is a frontline community pharmacist owner, assistant professor at the School of Pharmacy at both the University of Toronto and the University of Waterloo, and an internationally recognized speaker, author, and researcher. Today's guest is Sherilyn Houle, assistant professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo, a member of OPEN, the Ontario Pharmacy Evidence Network, and an associate member of the Faculty of Travel Medicine at the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow. Sherilyn is an expert on pharmacist-provided care in travel health, immunizations, and anticoagulation. Her research focuses on ensuring the implementation and uptake of pharmacists and technicians' full scope into pharmacy practice and evaluating the resulting outcomes on patients and the health system. Sherilyn is also a holder of a certificate in travel health from the International Society of Travel Medicine and a recipient of the Wellspring Pharmacy Leadership Award from the Canadian Foundation for Pharmacy. Join John and Sherilyn for the second of two episodes focused on vaccination. In this episode, they talk about vaccine hesitancy and the drivers behind the recent anti-vaccine movement, explaining the crucial role of pharmacists and sharing their experiences and their recommendations for battling myths and misconceptions around vaccinations. Learn how legislation can drive or hinder patient education and vaccine penetration and how vaccination can increase customer loyalty in the community pharmacy environment. Pull up a seat and let's get started. It's great to be back for another episode of The Pharmacists Are In. This is kind of a part uh, two of a two-part series on uh, vaccination and immunization. I'm back again uh, with my guest, Sherilyn Hewell from the University of uh, Waterloo. And uh, uh, welcome back, Sherilyn. Thank you. Uh, last uh, time we spoke about kind of immunization and travel clinics in general. Uh, we thought like for the second kind of segment here, we'd focus on vaccine hesitancy because this is getting a ton of media attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think, uh, I mean, we see as a practicing pharmacist, there's no way you're practicing without getting questions about vaccines. If they're safe, uh, what are the side effects? Uh, should, you know, uh, uh, you know, parents be vaccinating their kids? I, I'm always, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's like a very, very common question in community pharmacy right now. It is, yeah, especially with, with the outbreaks that we're seeing now of, of measles and other vaccine-preventable conditions, people are kind of, rethinking or reevaluating the options and, and coming to us with those questions. So what, what what's going on? Is it a, a movement in the media? Is it like, what do you think is triggering this kind of anti-vaccine sentiment that we're seeing? Well, I think that it's, it's you know, it's very unfortunate that, that we're having the outbreaks that we are now, you know, pertussis and measles and things like that. Um, of course, it's a consequence of under vaccination for the last, you know, number of years. So it isn't a new phenomenon. It's been around for, you know, 10 or 15 years. And I think we're just starting to see the effect of it now. But okay. certainly the the ease of sharing misinformation on social media is is definitely a contributing factor. I think so. And they, it seems like that the anti-vaxxers, I mean, we call them that, uh, and there's a why. I mean, that's a very general statement, but um, there's a group of them that are like really vocal about it. And I, I mean, uh, aside from doing this, I do very frequently do I, I do a radio show here in the city on Zoomer Radio. And anytime we do immunization or vaccination, we get the most callers, and inevitably you'll get people screaming us, at us on the phone. I mean, there's 
you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. What can we do as pharmacists? Well, you know, I mean, we're, I think we're doing uh, a little bit now, but as we become more and more involved in uh, vaccination and immunization, I think we maybe have to rethink of the way we, you know, we deal with patients. Oh, absolutely. I think that the, the typical approach that a lot of healthcare professionals, so not just pharmacists, most, health, most healthcare professionals take is, if I provide more scientific information, I can get them to buy into it. And it really hasn't worked. It has to be a much more personal, much more emotional discussion, right? Sure. What are the risks to you? What are the consequences to you and your family if somebody gets ill, right? Um, you know, so really personalizing that conversation, I think, is where, where we need to go and where we need to start changing things that, you know, misinformation is one piece of vaccine hesitancy, but there's some type of anxiety or nervousness or uncertainty below it that I think if we ignore, we're still not going to necessarily fix. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think knowing your patients as well is mm -hmm. a big part of it. Like I, you know, I practice in a, an area where we have mostly senior ethnic Europeans. And that's a group that's, it's a funny group. Uh, they watch a lot of European television and especially my Greek group there. Uh, there was this, a movement in the Greek media a few years ago where they were really against vaccines and they were picking this up because they're watching it here and they're coming in and they're like, hey, it's time for your flu shot. No, no, I'm not getting it this year. What do you mean? It's time for your flu shot. No, I'm not getting it. Come with me. And that group just wants you to drag them in. Eh? They're like, come with me, you're getting your flu shot. That works for them. doesn't work for everyone. And I think the strategies have to vary depending on you know who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And then you throw in kids uh, uh, in the mix and and that's a whole other variable as well, I guess. Oh, it is. And I think that we're, you know, some of the, the research that we're doing, for example, is trying to get pharmacists and really all healthcare professionals to not think of people as being a definite vaccine acceptor sure. or a definite anti-vaxxer, but recognize that's a very large spectrum. Right. And the anti-vaxxer movement is actually a very, very small component of that spectrum. Lots of people fall somewhere in the middle where they're hesitant. They have some questions. They're, you know, they just need information. They need reassurance. They need professional guidance but they aren't strictly anti-vax. Right. And I think when we as pharmacists assume that anybody who isn't getting vaccinated right now without any questions is automatically anti-vax, we're doing a disservice to ourselves as well as to the patients. Because right. most people are in that middle ground where they can be yeah, convinced and they just have them. honest questions. Sure, yeah, and I think taking the time is important. And I think it's easy in a pharmacy, you know, you're busy, you get rushed and, um, you know, you try to answer the questions, but we don't always do a great job just because of the volume of work that's going mm -hmm. on back there. Another, uh, you know, opportunity I've always thought uh, this is because the techs are always kind of the front line. They're the ones uh, that a lot of times field the questions and they almost shield the pharmacist sometimes if it's very busy. And I'm like, guys, if you got a question, especially around immunization, that's a huge opportunity, mm -hmm. right? Get that to the pharmacist. And I think that's... Uh, it's just the way we've set up pharmacy that a lot of times is that barrier, right? It is. And a lot of people also see vaccination as a, it's a, like, you know, my advice or my education is only successful if the patient gets vaccinated today. But I think really any movement along that spectrum mm -hmm. is still positive movement. And so in my mind, I tend to think of it like smoking cessation, right? You can ask 10 times if someone's ready to quit. And on that 10th time, they might say yes and That's do right. it. Right, so it might be the same thing with vaccination where you may not see that benefit today, but if you keep asking and you keep answering those questions down the road, you may see that change in behavior, change in One of the mindset. questions that we get all the time, and maybe you could just put this to rest uh, uh, once and for all, is around autism in kids. And I know um, mm -hmm. it still lingers that sentiment, oh, it does. right? Like I, I, it does. I get asked at least once a week, right? Yes. Um, and a lot of times we're not even doing the pediatric vaccines in the pharmacy, but they're coming to us for, for information. Kind of, what would you say about that? 
Oh, that is, that's definitely a lingering uh, misconception out there. I mean, it's, it, so the, the approaches that have been taken, you know, before have been to discredit Andrew Wakefield, say, oh, he lost his license, he's not credible, right? Mm -hmm. I think the approach now is to say, okay, there was this study that triggered all of this concern. It has been discredited. But here's the, you know, a hundred papers that have come That's out right. afterwards that are, have a much larger sample size, a much better methodology that show there's no association at all. So, you know, we're not only, we're not discrediting the individual himself That's doing right. it, but we're saying here's new evidence that you can replace that previous That's right. mindset with. I mean, that that is one of you know, from what I've what I've heard from other, you know, professionals in the area is that that's one of the most clear-cut scientific <laughs> definite yes or no answers that we that's have right. is that vaccines do not cause autism. That's yeah. not but, even really up for debate in the scientific community, but it is in the public. Yeah, oh still yeah. Still active. And, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised you still see on Twitter, I see it, uh, even healthcare providers yes. sometimes not supportive of vaccines. I'm like, how could you be a pharmacist, physician, nurse practitioner, whatever, and not push, not push, but at least educate yeah, uh, your, 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 your patients on that. But they're still out there and I, yeah. it blows my mind. Well, we had a, a patient, a, a parent of a teenage patient actually, who refused the MMR vaccine out of autism fears. And we had to explain that autism would have appeared by now. That's right. You're right. Yeah. It, it does not, it's not a condition that appears in the teenage years, That's right? right? Yes. And, just but lingers, it's just irrational. Right? Yeah. It's irrational. It's totally emotion-based and not necessarily scientific. Yeah, no, I know. And I think pharmacists have to be confident enough to give those strong recommendations to say, mm -hmm. okay, I understand your concerns, but this is what you should be doing based on the literature that's out there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, we're, pharmacists are kind of, uh, you know, meek in, in some ways. You see it, they want to please the patients, and they're not uh, confrontational anyway, but you've got to be confident enough to make those recommendations mm -hmm. and make them strongly because mm -hmm. uh, uh, they're getting, uh, in many cases, your patients are getting another perspective from their friends, family, whoever, mm -hmm. and it could be very passionate from the other perspective, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. And I think part of, part of the education too, so what we're training our students, for example, is if they encounter a person who is more on the anti-vax end of the spectrum, like you're not changing their mind, it's just going to be an argument, to just shut the conversation down. That's right. Right, because it's not helping anybody to have a, a prolonged argument in a pharmacy where people are yelling and being highly oh, emotional, yeah. right? So at a certain point too, we also have to be confident enough to say, okay, we apparently are going to have to agree to disagree, but do you, if you have any questions again down the road, I'm happy to talk to you again, Sure. right? So. So we are focusing point, our efforts, sure. our limited time and our limited efforts on those people who are in the middle of that spectrum and who may be more open to that information. I've always thought, you know, we're doing all these flu shots uh, and these people are vaccine friendly because they're coming in for their flu shots. Yeah. Ask about all the other, other adult vaccines, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Because a lot of times they, you know, no one's actually even asked them. They get lost kind of in the, in the shuffle and uh, mm -hmm. it's an opportunity. We've got this little form that we use while they're waiting because during flu season you'll get lineups for the flu shot. And it's just a checklist. Has anyone talked to you about shingles, mm -hmm. uh, travel vaccines, this or that? And they just kind of check off what they've had or what they think they've had. And then, uh, you know, when you're in there, they've got to hang around for 10 minutes after. So here's an opportunity. Hey, you know, have you got your, uh, the two big ones for me, uh, shingles and pneumococcal vaccine mm -hmm. is a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in our senior population, a lot of them get missed, right? Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, uh, ask the question, guys, anyone listening, it, it, you'll be surprised. Uh, uh, people say yes, drives revenue to the pharmacy, you know, builds that relationship. I find a patient that comes into your pharmacy and actually 
is confident enough to get vaccinated, uh, they're there for life. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. that's, uh, I mean, you know, I, it's a big change, I think, yeah. from where we were even 10 years ago, right? So um, it's just uh, having the confidence, I think, to do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, shingles, we know uh, it's uh, uh, an opportunity for pharmacists. I think um, we have uh, Zostavax covered now mm -hmm. in the community pharmacies. Uh, Shingrix still not covered. Any thoughts on that? Uh, I think the guidelines are pretty clear now. The guidelines have become pretty clear. It's just a matter of waiting for policy to to follow suit with it and and I think that you know what the government is going to want to likely see in the policymakers is that cost effectiveness analysis is the what's the added cost versus the added benefit down the road and you know most of the the literature that I'm familiar with shows you know a longer duration of protection and a greater degree of protection so it seems only feasible that it's That's also right. going to be cost effective but I think it's just a matter of that that delay between evidence and yeah, and sometimes it can, and you know, the way they, they pushed that legislation out, like we couldn't get paid in the pharmacies to do that again. It made no sense. We had all this uh, success with immunization, and then all of a sudden, boom, they dropped that kind of le this legislation on us, where we couldn't bill for it. And in my, I mean, we've got to stop doing that, because we just, we teach our patients one thing, and we saw it with flu again, right? Uh, you could get the regular flu shot, but not HD flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. It was a big, it wasted a lot of time this uh, uh, this last flu season because people would come in, they're like, hey, do you have HD flu vaccine? No, you got to go only to your doctor. What do you mean? I got to go to my doctor. I came here. I mean, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's a challenge. I think sometimes we're short-sighted when we kind of put these rules into place, but we've got to get better, I think, at streamlining legislation. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but. Yeah, yeah, the the HD vaccine, you know, uh, situation that happened this past winter, it really made a lot of pharmacists um, question whether, which is the best approach to take, right? Do I potentially send sure. the patient off to get it done elsewhere where they may not ultimately oh. receive it at all, or do I say, well, let's at least give you the regular dose so that you have some protection, yeah. right? So we saw kind of that ethical dilemma of, I want to make sure you're protected. I don't really, you yes. know, I don't really care who gets the injection into you. We just want to get it into you and get you protected. And if you're not going to get the high dose, if I refer you elsewhere, am I doing you a disservice by not giving that's you the right. regular dose now? And that's a very frustrating position to oh, be in. Absolutely. And, and different, I found different pharmacists handled it in different ways. I think the majority of mine were erring on the side, hey, let's just vaccinate you now. Because the reality is if they leave, you don't know if they're going to go back. Yeah. At that time of year, the physician's offices are jammed anyways. Mm -hmm. It's cough and cold season, everything else going on. That I, I mean, we were just giving it. We were making the patients aware. vast majority of them were just give me what you got and I'll go, I'll go from there. So we'll see what happens uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, next year. I'm not sure if there's going to be any policy change. Uh, you know, the one thing we've spoken a lot about uh, uh, with our prior work at Open even is the distribution and the way vaccines are distributed here in Ontario, well, in the uh, District M uh, postal code. It's still, a, a, I think, a, a big opportunity for us because uh, for those that don't know the listeners, we, we don't self-distribute vaccine uh, um, uh, for flu in, in uh, uh, you know, M postal code. We get it through kind of the government's pharmacy or whatever. But again, this year was a lot of challenges, riddled with challenges. Have you heard anything changing with respect to that? Or I haven't. I think uh, with the change in, in political party and all of that going on, that it kind of was a little bit back burner to some sure. of the other things that are going on. So I haven't heard any movement either way. But I think this also ties into pharmacists' ability to access other publicly funded 
vaccines. That's certainly a barrier here in Ontario. It is in a number of other provinces as well where we have those patients who maybe would benefit from something that is publicly funded on the public schedule but we can't access it. And the reason that we hear from a lot of the policymakers is, well, it's too complicated to, for the distribution end of things. And I never get that because we distribute everything else, including <laughs> yes. other vaccines. Yes. But there, I, I guess they've public health got the infrastructure in place and everything else. And they I think, do. And that's um, going to have to be balanced against the accessibility of pharmacies yeah. as well, right? So, yeah. for example, Alberta just opened up uh, the DTaP vaccine to pregnant women that could be given by pharmacists out of the public supply. So we're seeing a little bit of movement kind of for these, you know, newer developments that are coming right. along. And, and I think I'd like to see the same thing happen for most of the others because, for example, the measles outbreaks that are going on right now, and we've got people who are coming and asking us about it, but we don't have vaccine that we can give to them. So yes. there's yeah. missed opportunities with having a distribution channel that doesn't allow pharmacies to tap into that supply. It's a scary thought, too. I mean, uh, that we're, ha we're, like, we're seeing these outbreaks in this day and age. I, I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, I mean, I guess somewhat surprised, but it's... Uh, it's a big deal, and I think it's getting some media attention, but I think we need all hands on deck for this, you know? And we are seeing some changes in the, the conversations that are going on on social media. So, for example, um, you know, going back five or ten years ago when somebody would post an anti-vaccination post, most people would just ignore it because That's they didn't right. want to get into the fight, they didn't yeah. want the irrational stuff floating around. And we're actually starting to see some pushback now that, mm. you know, now that we're seeing the consequences of the anti-vaccination movement, people are actually saying, okay, well, ignoring it hasn't fixed it. In fact, this is the problem that we, we predicted the whole time this would happen, and we're there now. So we're starting to see kind of a, a you know, groundswell of, sure. of people saying, no, 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 I'm going to correct this. I'm going to send, a, I'm going to push right. out evidence-based information to counter the misinformation. And that dialogue is now going both ways, where before it was only one way and people didn't even want to wade sure. into the argument. Yeah, this reminds me of a, uh, I mean, we, we talk about this on, on the radio as well very frequently, and I, I remember one show I was just getting hammered, like anti-vaxxer after anti-vaxxer, and it, like, it was putting a lot of uh, pressure on me. And then I still remember this old lady, she must have been like 90, Mary from Brooklyn, I think she said, like Brooklyn, Ontario, called in, and uh, uh, she was, uh, you know, John, I'm going to give you some support. Most of these patients don't remember when we were quarantined because of things like, polio and measles and stuff like that and she remembered it very clearly and, and she said if you had seen that mm -hmm. you wouldn't be hesitating to get a vaccine and I think the reality is many of us have not seen a lot of these infectious diseases because we've been vaccinating everyone for so long. Yes I mean yeah. vaccination really is a victim of its own success. That's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so I mean uh, hopefully I mean we're all uh, working together now we'll see uh, we'll see we'll see where that goes. Um, so when you think of a patient that may be kind of somewhere you know in that middle of the spectrum you know they're not uh totally pro vaccines they're not against them they're kind of they have a lot of questions what's your strategy say you know what's your advice to a pharmacist that has maybe five minutes patient comes in uh they're not sure if they should get the shingles vaccine for example mm -hmm. well i think that's where it's important to figure out where they're coming from, where their hesitation comes from. Is it concerns about safety or side effects or something that's quite easy for us to, to answer and, and alleviate? Is it maybe that they don't perceive that they're at risk of the particular condition? I mean, it, that's gonna tailor your conversation in terms of what you choose to cover. What I found actually to be most effective, in clinic at least, is that a lot of the patients will ask, well, what would you do? Yeah. 
And I don't hesitate to tell them mm. that I get my flu shot every year. Yeah. I've got a three and a half year old daughter. She is up to date. The day of her birthday, we're going in yeah. and getting her vaccines that she needs for that year type of thing. Um, I let them know that, you know, I was in an ex a clinical trial for HPV vaccine for two time dosing instead of three time okay. dosing. Like, like I myself have taken all of these vaccines. Sure. So I'm not recommending something for you that I haven't also put in myself, right? And I think that's that right. that means a lot to people because it, it gives it that personal appeal that, you know, you wouldn't want to harm your child, right? right? So if you're giving your kid these vaccines, then maybe I should consider it as well. So I find that personal, you know, that's one time when I get a little bit personal with the with the patients sure. and tell them what I personally have done. And, and you know, um, I'm always surprised that, especially during flu season, I think our numbers as pharmacists, self-vaccinating are pretty good compared to other professions but it's not by any means 100%. It's eh? not. Yeah. It's not, and it's for the same reasons that a lot of patients choose not That's to be right. vaccinated. It's, I don't think I'm at risk. I'm young and healthy. That's I've right. never had the flu. You know, a lot of it is at risk perception. But you're so right. If I, I could see my patients, if I, if, uh, you know, hey, John, did you get your vaccine? Nope, I'm not getting it. I guarantee yeah. you if I said I didn't get it, Absolutely. a lot of my seniors wouldn't do it. My, my Greek mm -hmm. ethnic seniors, for sure, right? So I think, uh, yeah, you're very right. It starts with us. We should be getting vaccinated yes. ourselves. And I think that's going to, I mean, uh, drive at least some patients, like you said, on the personal side to be uh, uh, get themselves uh, vaccinated. I, I think we kind of I touched on this before, but there, we are seeing these, you know, certain ethnic groups now that are, um, you know, being, uh, uh, for whatever reason, dissuaded. And we saw, I think there was a, an outbreak of measles in a Somalian population, for example. Mm -hmm. How do we tackle that problem, right? Yeah, that, that's an interesting one because I think that there's, when you're looking at a certain population like that, there's internal communication channels that we don't see, right? There's discussions around the dinner tables that we that's don't right. see. There's discussions that happen after a church service that we don't see and we can't provide information on. So I almost think, you know, the, the way to go is there's always going to be some people, even in those communities that may have a high amount of vaccine hesitancy, there's always some people who are vaccine acceptors, yeah. right? And if they can be equipped and empowered to to pass along credible information to try to you know sway that discussion a little bit because we're not at those tables when those discussions are taking place so it's it's a big challenge there's often you know internal communication there's separate facebook groups there's separate community newspapers it's really really hard yeah i know and that's it's I very mean, hard and i think uh, you know in many t situations the pharmacists are at the root of those communities right so they are um you know i think of me in greek town little italy there's always you know uh, at least a, a handful of pharmacists that are servicing those very specific ethnic groups and i think the pharmacists could really make a difference mm -hmm. yeah really make a difference so yep. hopefully you know uh, based on some of the stuff that we've talked about today you know pharmacists will maybe change their strategies with respect to uh how they how do they talk to your patients? If you had kind of uh, one or two things that you'd end with today, messages that you'd want to get out to kind of our colleagues, maybe um, you know pharmacists that are not so active in kind of vaccine advocacy, uh, or maybe I'm even surprised how many uh, pharmacists still don't even immunize. Mm -hmm. It's not a hundred percent by any uh, no, means, not, right? Yeah. yeah. What what advice would you give them? Oh, the advice <laughs> I would give them. Oh gosh. So if I could think of some key points. Well, the first would definitely be to to be aware of that spectrum of vaccine acceptance to vaccine hesitancy and recognize that the anti-vaxxers are a very, very small proportion of that population. So most people that you come into contact with who have questions about vaccines, they aren't going to be confrontational. They aren't going to be, you know, irrational, highly emotional, 
arguments. They're just honest questions that people have and they want your personal opinion, they want your professional judgment. So, you know, give give that benefit of the doubt that most people are not That's part right. of that anti-vax group. And I think that'll help with your own anxiety as well, maybe being afraid to even ask someone about vaccination because you're afraid they're going to be an anti-vaxxer. Just That's reassure right. yourself that's very, very rare sure. still. They're, they're vocal, but they're still a very small minority. And the second thing is, I think we touched upon this earlier, that you know we need to lead by example. So we need to be vaccinated ourselves. Mm -hmm. We need to be advocating for it ourselves. We need to have our own kids vaccinated. And, and I think if, you know, if we can can share that with our patients and let them know, you know, I had the flu shot this year and it didn't even hurt. Like this, <laughs> this formulation was yeah. really good. Oh, I've had yellow fever vaccine before and this is what happened that, you know, emotion will appease emotional concerns, right? Sure. So if you can provide that reassurance on that personal level, I think that's gonna be much more helpful than just spewing out scientific information, right. which really isn't going to change behaviors. No, that's a great point for sure. And then, you know, from a practical uh, perspective as well, uh, you know, I'm trying to, uh, you know, whenever I speak to pharmacists on this topic is, you've got to look at your workflow in the pharmacy as well. If you're really going to take on immunization, vaccination, you've got to staff for it. you got to make sure you're able to offer it all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember uh, when I first got involved in, in uh, doing the vaccines, um, the techs would tell me, hey, do you know you've got a pharmacist at night that turns people away? That's like the worst thing you could do mm -hmm. because you, say, hey, you know what, come back in the morning uh, uh, because maybe they weren't comfortable giving Gardasil, for example. Uh, you know, John or Wilson or someone else will be there and do it. There's no guarantee they're coming back, mm -hmm. right? So I think, you know, when you talk about barriers, uh, it's always the same time, workflow, you know, I can't fit it in. Mm -hmm. uh, the reality is that's going to change uh, with everything that's going on and centralization, but you, you've got a staff for it particularly uh, during flu season. I know, uh, you know, some pharmacies will use appointment-based models. I find that doesn't work very well. It's nice if you have a scheduler and people make appointments, but the reality is many of the patients are just walking in, right? So you have to be prepared uh, to offer that service. And I think that's where uh, many uh, pharmacists struggle. We have added a lot to their plate in the last few mm -hmm. years, you know. Um, I remember when I first uh, graduated, pretty much you were counseling. Uh, and filling scripts, that's it. Now we've got all these other services that uh, uh, you know we're offering and minor ailments will be part of that very shortly. But it is about staffing your, uh, you know, your pharmacy appropriately so you can handle uh, the volume that's coming in and it can get extremely uh, busy mm -hmm. during flu season. So I think, you know, uh, I wanted to make a comment about that, but really I think we've come to the end of our time. Thank you again. I think we had a great kind of two two part series here. Hopefully, uh, uh, the pharmacists appreciate it and hopefully uh, people start thinking about how they could change their practice a little bit. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by OPEN, the Ontario Pharmacy Evidence Network, with support from the GSK Independent Medical Education Grant, which helps education experts and healthcare professionals to collaborate and innovate with the ultimate aim of identifying and closing healthcare gaps.